see so many, as has been said already. We're thankful that you're here. We're thankful to see some folks back with us that have not been able to for a while. And we hope that is signs of good things to come. We keep pressing forward, hoping that things will, will change a little bit around us, that we'll be able to, to be together again as we once were. It's hard to believe that we're coming up on a year already, but uh, we're thankful that you're here this morning and every time that we can be together. Uh, if you were with us last week, we began a, uh, the lesson by offering a bit of a disclaimer. And uh, I'm not going to offer that disclaimer this morning again. In fact, my wife ripped it up when the services were over when I tried to give it back to her. But uh, the disclaimer, of course, goes along the lines that uh, none of us are perfect and that this, these series of lessons honing in on the family and our roles as part of families and a family is something that we're all trying to do our best to be a part of the family as we should. So there's no disclaimer this week, but it brings up a pretty good point and a chance for a plug, if you will. Uh, last Tuesday night, we began uh, a podcast club, several of us, and if you want, want to be a part of it, you're more than welcome to. Charles and Shannon sort of started it up and sent out the invitation, and hopefully you might have gotten that. Once a month on Tuesday night, meeting together, still over Zoom or, or Google or something like that where we can do it online, but the opportunity to listen to an encouraging podcast and then talk about the things that were discussed in it. Last, last week, we talked about marriage a little bit. We're going to talk about some other things in the future, family and finances and other things such as that. Uh, and if you're even, you're welcome if you want to dip your toe in the water. We've said that next month we're going to talk about Jesus and politics, if you want to join in on that discussion. But it was encouraging because we got together, eight or ten or twelve of us, and, and had a discussion about marriage. And one of the things we pointed out that kind of goes along with the disclaimer that I jokingly gave last week was the idea that with the advent of social media, we're all struggling to find our place in the world. And there's a balance between the people on social media who seem like they have it all figured out and how they make other folks feel bad because they seem like they have it all together. And then the idea that maybe we need to share some of our struggles and we need to share in our life together. And there's got to be a balance of those two things. And we shouldn't tear ourselves down the whole time and talk about how, how terrible we are or the struggles we have. We maybe shouldn't make it seem like it's all perfect. But as Christians, we should at the same time offer up a good picture of marriage and the family. And it's with that in mind that we want to begin this week con continuing in our study of talking about family and talking about the home. You know, in the first lesson, we looked at some of the awful statistics that remind us of just how far we've moved away as a society and really as a world away from the Word of God. Last week, we talked about the foundational principles of marriage and the home and the family beginning with one man and one woman for one life, for one lifetime, God's ideal for marriage. We began to see that that, that is one of the keys. And I almost scrapped the lesson this morning altogether during the week, and, and I wanted to spend more time on, on marriage and what a godly and Christian husband and a godly and Christian wife should be doing the way they should be acting. But we'll save that lesson for another time. But as we shift this morning to thinking back about the family, Unit. This was the background or the series of slides that we used a couple of weeks ago as we began to talk about the idea that family truly does matter. When we think about our lives, everyone, everyone in this room, everyone in the world, of course, at some point, at one point or another, was a part of a family. Maybe you were born and, and you were just young and your parents passed away, you had no siblings, and you may feel like you had no family, but at one point, with parents, of course, allowed you to come into the world, we were all a part of a family. And everyone has a role to play. What we want to do this morning is look at three things in particular, starting with the letter P, if you have your notes in front of you. 
And maybe for the sake of continuity of the lesson, we want to begin with the negative and work our way to the positive, some encouraging things. So let's begin this morning with thinking about some of the problems in the home. I know that's not exciting to consider, but it helps us as we understand things that are not going well, maybe some problems that we might have, so that we know what we're going to face. You know, when God talks about the whole armor of God, when Paul talks about that by inspiration of the Holy Spirit there in the book of Ephesians, he begins by talking about our adversary. He begins by talking about the one that we're going against and the way that he tries to attack us. So it helps us. It would be a benefit if we would consider some of the problems in the home even this morning. Number one, the first one I would offer up, and there's certainly many that we won't have time to get to, but let's just check out a few here. Distraction. Distractions in our life. There are always things that are vying for our attention, and it's hard sometimes to make it through the day without getting distracted. But as we take a step back and we think about the macro sense of things, what are the things that sometimes distract us? They won't be on the screen, but I'd offer up a, a few more to you. Of course, number one, first and foremost in our society is the devices and the electronic devices that we sometimes get caught up in. Many of you, as you think back on your lifetime, would have never imagined the impact that our electronic devices would have. You may remember a time when there was one TV in the house or no TVs, and now there's one in every room, and you never thought you'd carry it around in your pocket that you could pull it out and just watch whatever program you wanted to. But certainly those things have become a distraction to us. We recently purchased a book in our family by suggestion. It was titled, Navigating Our Digital World. It made the point that for many of us, we are what we would call digital, uh, digital immigrants. That is, that we remember a time when digital devices and problems like that weren't an issue. We're immigrants into the society that we live in today in that, that realm. We even fit into that in, in our age bracket. But our children are, no, are not digital immigrants. They are digital natives. They are born into a world where everyone has a phone and you can do everything on that phone. And here's the thing about that. What is the goal? When we talk about our digital devices, electronic devices being a distraction, I would say the goal is, is not to eliminate them. You see, some of us who are digital immigrants, that's what we feel. We shake our fists and we think, oh, those things are the devil, and we want to get rid of them. I'm here to tell you, they're, they're here to stay. When you can check your blood pressure on them and pay your bills on them and check your calendar on them and do all these things on them, they're here to stay. So we're not going to eliminate them, but should we do better about learning some self-control? Especially when it comes to our young people. That book offered up a couple of statistics. Parents of children ages four. All right, we have a four-year-old in our house. Ages four to 17 report that kids are on their devices an average of five hours a day. Almost as long as some of you maybe are at work or have been at work before. Not as long, but pretty close when you think about five hours, ages four to 17. In 2012... Roughly 40% of teens owned a smartphone. 2020, just eight years, it's gone from 40 to 90% of teenagers have a smartphone. I would say again, that's showing us it's going to be hard to eliminate devices from our life. And we've seen, even as we are able now to stream our services, there's some good things about the internet and about electronics. But it's also a very dangerous world. And we need to be careful that it doesn't become a distraction in our lives and in our family. Number two, what about our activities? Well, of course, I carefully worded that as activities. 
We get in our society and even in the church sometimes, we get on a pedestal and we give sports such a bad, bad name in our kids. And yes, sports are absolutely a part of that. But think about your calendar. Maybe you don't have children who are playing sports anymore, but are you still just as busy, busy in your life? What is it among your life and, and your schedule, your activities that are keeping you so busy that you are distracted from being a part of your family or paying attention to spiritual things? There's so much more in our world today. Some folks aren't involved with sports at all, but they still run and run and run, and the activities of our lives become a distraction to us, and it harms our families. Getting caught up in ourselves, getting caught up in work, getting caught up in the pursuit of a hobby, our own friends, television, the media, all these things and more are vying for our attention. You know, all the books that I put up here last week on the pulpit, one of them, or at least a couple of them, were by a guy named Dr. John Gottman, and he does some good work. Dr. Gottman runs an institute for marriage and even studies the family. He has a phrase that they kind of go by in his institute, his marriage institute, and it's that small things, well, it's worded, small things often. Small things often. Do we live by that in our families? Sometimes we do, but sometimes we really struggle because we get caught up in the big things and the things that take up our schedule. Listen, I know how busy life can be. I know how crazy it can be to go from thing to thing and how crazy it can be to be a part of a family. But if we are truly trying to practice a Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 lifestyle, you remember Matthew 6, 33, but seek first His kingdom, the kingdom of God and His Righteousness Is that the lifestyle that we're trying to promote among our family? Because if we're truly trying to seek first the kingdom of God, then we're going to do our best to eliminate these distractions. And maybe we need to consider eliminating some of the distractions in our lives. Number two, one of the problems in the home, I believe, is that we have become too child-centered. We've probably all been in situations in the public before where you've seen that family where the child is ruling everything that is going on. Maybe it's in the grocery store, maybe it's in the restaurant, but they seem to control everyone in the family. They control every move that everyone makes. And it may have been a little subtle over time, but we started to put children in what the children, yes, need, but really what children want. We have begun to put that first and foremost of the family, and that has caused nothing but issues. Listen, I, I know you agree, children should in no, no means be abused or neglected in that way. But when we allow children to become the focus of our lifestyle and of our family, when we become what they want and chasing their desires and their whims, when we become child-focused instead of God-focused, God focused, we're on the wrong path. If you were with us on Wednesday night, we studied from Second Sam, excuse me, First Samuel chapters one through four, and we talked about Eli. First Samuel chapters one through four, and specifically the fact that Eli had a problem with his two sons, Hophni and Phineas. And I don't know if Eli's problem was exactly that he was too child focused. We don't get that many details about what took place there, but you can't miss what God says in First Samuel chapter two. And verse number 29. And we, we honed in on this at the end of our class. 1 Samuel 2.29. Where God says to Eli, Why do you honor your sons more than me? That's the problem with this. It's not that children are not important. Not that we shouldn't give them everything we can to try to help them be successful in life. But when we begin to honor family members and children more than God, 
We're going to fall into the same trap that Eli did. And if you weren't with us, you can go back and read 1 Samuel, 1, Samuel chapters 1 through 4 and be reminded of that terrible situation. Is this not one of the main things that we have done today in honoring family and honoring our children and their wishes more than what God has asked us to do? Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Seek those things which are above. And again, set your mind on things above. Who is the center of our lives? Is it God? It must be God. I love my children with all of my heart. I do. I, they're, they're important to me. But I have to put God first. And when the children become first in the family, we begin to see some of the problems that we've already discussed. Number three this morning, outsourcing. When I worked for the steel company that I worked for for about 13 years before coming here to work with you, I was given the task of handling some of the outsourcing work that our company did. You know what that is, right? It's taking work that we are supposed to be doing and giving it to someone else to do. Do we outsource our children? I'm afraid if we're honest, if we sat down and honestly tried to make a list of where and who our kids learn from, there would be a bitter pill to swallow. You see, we allow our schools to teach our children and to give them all that they need to know. We allow the government sometimes to teach our children and tell them all they need to know. We allow things like daycare and, and to teach our children all that they know. We allow things like YouTube to teach our children all that they know. They can see and hear all kinds of things, but we allow them just to watch and outsource their knowledge to what they see and hear on things like YouTube. And even what about the church? You know, they go to Bible class. You know, we pay that youth minister. We'll just allow him to do something for the kids. Friends, if we're honest, a lot of times in life we outsource our children to the world. Please hear me plain and clear. I understand that not all mothers can stay home. I understand that not all families are set up where they feel like they can school their children from home. There's nothing in the Bible that says that those things must be done. But if you think that you can pass off the teaching of your children how to cook and clean and how to function in society and above all how to study and know the Word of God, if you think you can pass that off to someone else, then chances are you'll see as life goes by children who are unfaithful, children who are weak, families that struggle. Because one of the problems in the home is as parents, we allow our children to be outsourced and learn from everyone else but us. There are certainly many problems in our homes today and in our families, but that's just a few. So that's great, preacher. Where do we go next then? Well, let's think very quickly about some of the places in the home. What are some of the, the places that we can think about? And if you have your Bible, you can be turning to Ephesians chapter 6. Because you see, as we think about what God intended, the way God intended for the family to function, we begin to see that in Ephesians chapter 6. Even as we thought about our last point, that parents are to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents are to do that. Not the school, not the youth minister, not the preacher, not YouTube, not the internet, not anything. But parents are to train their children. So what are these places in the home? Well, first of all, there are parents. I know that seems very obvious, but it helps us to think about that. God's plan for parents and for the home. Parents, provoking not your children to wrath. I know it says fathers there, but we think about mothers as well would certainly play a role in that. Training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Or what about over in Titus chapter 2? In Titus chapter 2 that the older folks, even probably parents included in that, are to teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Parents have a role to play. This could be a whole quarter study if we wanted it to be, so we're just going to have to skim the surface. I know you know that parents have a role to play from the Word of God, but we have to consider that and what that means. What does it mean to provoke them not to wrath? What does it mean to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Well, part of that is that parents have to discipline Again, we could spend a lot of time on that, but we know for, for the purpose of our time this morning that it's not something that most people like to discuss. It's something that has become somewhat taboo to speak of in our world today. Many of you may have joked, as we have, that if we were to discipline our children, especially by spanking in public, that somebody's going to call you know, the government or the cops on us. We, we joke about that, but that's true. It's become taboo to tell our children what to do or to discipline and, them, and discipline them in some sort of way. But parents must set boundaries. That's the key to discipline. Teaching our children about the boundaries of life. The boundaries that we learn about from the Word of God. It is in the home that children should learn proper etiquette and the proper way to interact with others. About rules and about how we follow the rules. They should learn that from the parents. We talked about marriage last week. Marriage has a role to play and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But A husband and a wife who have children become parents. And they have a great responsibility. And they have a place in the home. Number two, there are, of course, sometimes children. Not always. It's not uh, a command from God that we have to have children. But as we think about a typical home, there is one child or multiple children involved. Children, obey your parents. And the Lord, for this is right. We might be accused sometimes of, of never speaking to our children in the sermon. But children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It goes all the way back in that passage in Ephesians 6. You might see a reference in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16 where, where God is, is giving the, second, the, excuse me, the Ten Commandments a second time over from the book of Exodus. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children have responsibilities. You know, that's not just a complete and total promise that you would never have any trouble. But how many times do our children get frustrated and they think life is terrible, but all we're trying to do is teach them about boundaries and about rules and about life, about obedience. And we try to remind them that when things are going good, it's typically because they're obeying and being obedient, not only to parents, but to the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Life is easier. The promise is that things are much better when we are obedient. When children are obedient to parents and children and parents together are obedient to God. That is a promise and we see it in our lives, although we sometimes forget, forget it. But let's go on number three and I would add in for your thinking here, grandparents. Yes, just to be sure we're catching everyone, I would include grandparents here as well. Sure, they sometimes drive us crazy, and by that I mean us as parents, right? Hannah's always said she never got dessert when she was a kid until she had kids. Now they get dessert all the time when they go to their grandparents' house, right? That's what grandparents are supposed to do. They drive us crazy as parents. And that's meant to be a bit of a silly example, but there's a principle there. Grandparents have a role in the family. The family, I believe, is meant to be a family unit. Now, you're not always able to be together in that way. Of course, oftentimes grandparents may may pass away when children or grandchildren are very young. We think about sometimes jobs and, and other things take us apart. But as much as is possible, 
If you're here this morning and you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, don't think that you're immune or you don't, have to, you don't have to study any of this because I believe that God would intend for us to function as a family. The family is meant to be a large group. You know, many of you know our situation. You visit our house where there's a, our family here and grandparents here and even a great-grandmother next door. I know that's not ideal in everyone's case. Not everyone's able to be together in that same way. It may be a bit unusual, but for us, it's been a great blessing to be able to have this extended family around and know that there is encouragement not just from parents, but from grandparents who would back us up on things when it comes to the Word of God. Grandparents need to be involved. The great example we think about is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5 where Paul said that he was filled with joy when he recalled the faith of Timothy, which was in part passed down to him from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Unfortunately, in our world today, <coughs> excuse me, as we think about our, our society, grandparents sometimes have to take on the role of parents. And we have to do some adjusting and some thinking about things. But I would challenge you to be involved with your family. Yes, even as grandparents. If you have your Bible, look over at Psalm 78 for a moment. The 78th Psalm. There's a great picture here in Psalm 78 of the passing on of the praises and the strength and the wonderful works of the Lord. It says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come. Psalm 78 in verse number 6, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children. We all have a God-given place in the home. It may take some studying of Scripture, but we can know it. And we should follow it. Parents, children, and yes, even involved grandparents can have places in the home as we think about our lives going forward. But as we really begin to make application, let's think about some principles from the Word of God. You see, we can know the problems and we can even understand the places. But as we think about our function and our role, what are some of the principles that we can follow from the Word of God? Well, the first principle, of course, is marriage. I hate to sound like a broken record, but we talked about it last week and we've harped on it for several weeks now, but it is a building block. It is the foundation. Think about the fact that in marriage, children should learn sacrifice. Do you remember last week when we talked about Ephesians chapter 5 and the picture that marriage is of Christ and the church? It's in marriage that children should learn about sacrifice, about true biblical love, about leadership, about submission, about dedication and commitment. We've spent two weeks looking at that passage there in Ephesians chapter 5 and even this week as we move over to Ephesians chapter 6, but I don't think it's by accident. I don't think it's by accident that by inspiration Paul records for us before we even get to the home, four verses... Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And before we even get there, 12 verses at the end of Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage. As we said last week, God loves marriage, especially when mankind follows His plan for marriage. When that's the case, then we read Ephesians 5 and we move right into Ephesians 6 and we hopefully find homes being exactly what they should be following the Word of God. But marriage is not the only part of that. 
We would think about as well that one of the principles of a good home is one that puts God first and foremost and makes Him a priority. As we said earlier, there are many, many things that are fighting for our attention. And whether we think about that in detail and we put together a plan, and, or whether we prioritize, it's going, there are things that are vying for our attention. You may say, preacher, I, I, I don't think about it. How can I know where my priorities are? Because I don't sit down every week and make a plan. There's two ways I think that you can know where your priorities are. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Take a look at those two things, and you'll know what your priorities are. Where do you spend your money? And where do you spend your time? Is God a priority in your family? When we think about those things, we know that God needs to be a priority. And we think about that as we move over even further and think about the idea of our attendance. Our attendance to the services of the church here. Make worship a priority. Yes, even now, and even more so now. I know we've been concerned about virus things, but has your family known that worship is a priority? It's been tough. It has. But life has gotten back to normal in many ways. We're taking precautions, but we've also shown that we can gather together and worship as a family. I heard it say, said this way one time by a gospel preacher, that Christianity is more. Hear, hear the first part clearly. Christianity is more than just coming to worship. It is. It's not a box that we can simply check and that be it. But I also understand that coming to worship is a tangible way that I can show my family that God is a priority. It's not just all that Christianity is, is showing up here and sitting in a pew, but it is a tangible way, a concrete way that we can show our families and our children that we are taking this seriously, that God is a priority to make it a first and foremost priority in our lives to ascend the worship assembly of the church as we meet here together. But that's not it. Are you attending Bible class? Once again, this has changed, but right now we're here on Wednesday. We're here on Wednesday nights for a period of study. We hope to add Sunday morning back as soon as possible. Many, fam many families live by the rule that they would never miss school. They would never miss their team that they're committed to. But attending Bible class, eh, if we have time, we'll try our best to make it and be there. What is the priority in your life? And of course, the ultimate question is, even as we have had worship and Bible class taken away for a time, do you ever pick up your Bible at home? Does your family ever spend any time in the Word of God apart from this building? Because if you show up here and that's the only time you crack your Bible open as a family, then you are making it about being here and checking a box. It has to be a priority. Is God a priority to you and your family? But the third principle that we would mention this morning, and this is really just an outpouring of the last one, but it must be a lifestyle. We oftentimes say 24-7, 365. It must be a lifestyle. You know, some of you may remember just over a year ago, I think it was December of 2019, we preached a lesson here about compartmentalization. And I was looking back at the, the slides that I used because uh, we had one where we put up a, a lunch tray where all the food is separated, you know. Some people don't like their food touching. But, but maybe the main part of that was the idea of a wagon wheel. God is the center. 
You see, we oftentimes treat our Christianity and God like a, a set, a, a dresser of drawers there that we have. You know, God's in this drawer and my, my sports life is in this drawer and my, my work life is in this drawer. My family's over here. God has to be the center of our life. Being a Christian must be a lifestyle. It cannot be something that you pull out and put on on Sunday morning in order to come here and then take home and set aside again. The passage that we oftentimes mention, and I'll leave you with this passage, is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. You may have, it, may have heard it referred to as the Shema or the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We oftentimes sing it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And begin here, listen in verse number 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. How many things does he need to mention to, to get us to understand it's a lifestyle? Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, how many places or locations does he have to list for us to understand it has to be a lifestyle? Teaching our children and our family to follow God is an all-day, everyday thing. It just has to be. Or the chances are high that we are going to fail in that responsibility. As we can begin to conclude our lesson, I'll ask you to, to set your notes and your Bibles aside. If you want to pull out your songbook, songbook, you can if you use one. As we begin to conclude this particular lesson on the home and on the family, I want to share with you one final statistic. And I would even refer to it as a bone-chilling statistic. A couple of summers ago, several of us were able to go hear Lonnie Jones over at the Mountain Creek Congregation. Many of you are probably familiar with Lonnie. He speaks, he's from Alabama, but speaks at many different things and many seminars and many of our youth events like CYC and others. But Lonnie Jones, who is a licensed counselor and can do all kinds of things in helping others, he said it this way. In his study and in his statistics, his practice and everything that he knows, he said it this way. That there is a number one predictor of at-risk behavior. He said, I can sit down with a hundred children and tell you with 95% accuracy how many of them will be involved with sinful, with at-risk behavior. Drugs, premarital sex, alcohol, anything, disobedience, whatever you want to say. I can tell you within 5%, I can be that accurate to how many of them will be involved in those type of behaviors. And here's what he said. Do your parents profess things in public that they do not practice in private? That's the key. I mean, people spend lots of money on counseling sessions and sending their children to people to try to understand what's wrong. Why can't I get them to do what they need to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? And Lonnie says it's pretty simple in some ways. Do your parents profess things in public that they do not practice in private? That's the importance of the home that we are working together with our children and as parents to make our home all that it should be. That's a pretty tough pill to swallow there as well when we think about our role in life. Family matters. The home matters. And it helps us to consider that not only this morning, but going forward. 
But you see, the key to that, even as we conclude this lesson, is that I take care of me. And you take care of you. And my wife take care, takes care of herself. And you take care of yourself. And your spouse takes care of themselves. And we all make sure that we're doing what's right. And chances are the home is going to be what it needs to be. That's a principle that spills over into the church and to many other things. And so it is only of the utmost importance that we conclude this lesson and ask you to consider your life. Where do you stand in your walk with God? Are you being the person, the husband, the wife, the spouse, the parent, the child that you should be? If you're not, it begins by getting right with God. You may need some counseling. You may want to, to reconcile with your spouse or your family in some way, but it begins by being the Christian you should be. And the possibility exists as we're gathered here this morning that you're here and you're not a Christian. We'll be singing to encourage you while we plead. We will plead with you to become a Christian this morning. If you want to know more, we would gladly study with you even this day so that you can know what it, what it means, what it takes to become a Christian, to become faithful unto God because that is the most important decision. Who you marry was a really close second. Whether you have children, it's a really close third. But the most important decision is are you a Christian? And we'll be singing to encourage you in just a moment if you are not a Christian. The possibility also exists that you're here and you've done that. But as you look back and you examine your life, whether it's the past week or whether it's the past day or whatever it may be, it's not too late. You're here with breath in your lungs, blood pumping through your body. You're here, you're alive. You have an opportunity. If you're not faithful unto God, that you can repent and pray for forgiveness of your sins and God is faithful to do just that. We are so thankful for that second law of pardon. We're so thankful for the opportunity to become the spouse, the parent, and even the child that we should be. We're thankful you're here this morning. We hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. Whether it's something involved with the family or whether it's just getting right with God, we want to sing to encourage you that you would make it right, even now as we stand together and as we sing.